Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You know what it is, episode 79 for the love of the game, let's cook. I sit alone in my four-cornered room staring at candles. Are we on the radio, dudes? Give it to me. At night I can't sleep, I'm tossing and turning I still got the candlesticks burning It ain't changed but it's a different time And I'm still playing tricks with my mind My mother's always stressing that I'm living wrong But I got my Smith and Wesson cause I'm getting grown And they're looking at your little boy's success And I've been thinking, I'm dealing with too much stress so I... Welcome back, welcome back people Episode 79 for the love of the game And let me tell you something Your boy is in a way better mood these days Way better mood than he's been in a while Since this COVID bullshit has started We have optimism people Not to mention the weather is nice out. I mean, hopefully the weather won't be as crappy as they're predicting this weekend, especially Friday, Saturday. But the weather is gorgeous, and we have major optimism that there will be sports coming back in the near future. A little recap on the state of sports. So, the UFC has made its comeback, as I mentioned in the last episodes, and the results have been very solid. The match, too, with Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning and Tiger Woods was a smashing success. Drew crazy ratings, a huge number, and the broadcast was done very, very well. Now, I only watched a few clips, but the public loved it. They loved the live mic. They loved the banter. They loved hearing the back and forth. It was a really, really good production. Golf broadcasts can learn a lot from this, and this could be the blueprint for getting golf back again sooner rather than later. The NHL. Big news out of the NHL uh, yesterday. Commissioner Gary Bettman outlined the return to play for the NHL season. Now we're going to be going straight into the playoffs. Two neutral sites, one for the Eastern Conference teams, one for the Western Conference teams. These sites have not been disclosed just yet. And the playoff format is going to be different this year. Top 12 teams from each conference with the top four seeds playing a round robin for seeding, while seeds 5 through 12 will be playing a play-in series to see who advances. Listen, this is a little weird. It's a weird year. Coronavirus, this whole situation has turned everything upside down. So for one year, let's get weird. Now, I'm more of a sports traditionalist when it comes to this stuff. And I'll touch on this uh, when talking about the NBA in a little bit and and maybe in depth in in a later episode. So yeah, this is a bit goofy. But guess what? There is not going to be a perfect solution for this year. Have this year be a one-off, and if things are well-received by the public, maybe you can implement some changes going forward. Do I think the top seeds here get screwed a little bit? Yes. Do I want the regular season to matter and that teams played well in the regular season should be rewarded more so? Yes. Yes, I do. But I respect Gary Bettman for making a decision and going for it. These decisions are hard, and something is better than nothing. As for basketball... Things seem to be moving in a positive direction as well. Today, the basketball tournament, the TBT, announced that they'll likely kick off in July. It will be in a campus-like environment. Not sure where that's going to be just yet, but it looks like things are moving forward. 
Basketball interest and fervor for basketball is at an all-time high right now. Just look at the numbers for The Last Dance and what it did on ESPN. For a documentary series, it did monster numbers. I think something like 23 million homes are watching this. And by the way, because so many people liked it, so many people loved The Last Dance, and it was awesome. Now it's time to poke holes. Yeah, we can't just enjoy things. Now it's time to poke holes. And yeah, there were going to be something said that aren't necessarily true, or I should say super true. And yes, this was going to be about Michael Jordan more so than anybody else. He had final say of what was going to be included. He went into the gambling stuff. He was super authentic when talking about his insane level of competitiveness and how it drove him to do certain things. So the relationship with his ex-wife, well, it wasn't good. It wasn't going to be included. Big fucking deal. You want a story on Jordan and his ex-wife? Well, then you're not getting Michael Jordan and all the awesome first-person interviews that he did. He's the star. That's what it's about. To poke holes in the doc saying it wasn't authentic is just wrong. Or that it was a puff piece that it's just wrong. And guess what? He's the greatest pro athlete of all time. Him and Muhammad Ali. So yeah, he's interesting enough and is accomplished enough to be fawned over. It wasn't like he didn't touch on things that would, quote, make him look bad. As I mentioned, the gambling stuff, the, the fighting with teammates. And unlike LeBron James, who wouldn't go into any of this stuff, he went into it. But anyway, sorry for the tangent. As I was saying before, I, uh, I got off... Um, Got off the rails a little bit. The appetite for basketball is extremely high right now. And that brings me to the NBA. A lot of positive news stemming from the NBA. I've been bullish on the NBA's return for a while. Now it's coming a little bit later than I thought it was going to come. That's fine. You know, the, the news cycle and the information coming about the coronavirus was constantly was constantly uh, changing. And yeah, I was probably too bullish beforehand. But I said it was going to come back, and it's coming back. And yes, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet, but the positive signs are there. But a few thoughts on a couple of ideas that have been floated and some issues. Uh, number one, one of the proposals is to have only the 16 teams come back and go straight into the playoffs. This is my least favorite option because the level of play, for it to be as best as possible, I want there to be some tune-up games first. Now, this leads to questions regarding the number of teams and people in terms of the health risks and uh, and the social distancing and not wanting to limit the number of, of people. And I'm not educated enough to um, to talk about that, uh, to really comment. I just I trust the medical professionals and Adam Silver will do whatever they can do to make sure that the players uh, are minimalized or I should say are exposed to the minimal amount of risk as possible. I truly believe that they are going to do whatever they can do to make this work. But I just want to address uh, the players and teams who don't want to play, quote, meaningless games. Uh, and Damian Lillard being the most um, prominent player to uh, voice his opinion about this. Um, he obviously doesn't want to necessarily go through the training camp to have, you know, to play games that way he's going to have no shot at the playoffs. Um if it's only like five to ten games, that it's not worth it. Let me say two things before I um, I go on my uh, my little rant on this one. Damian Lillard, an awesome basketball player, and by all accounts, an awesome dude, really good guy. And he was included on the call with Adam Silver. He was one of like the ten prominent players included on the call with Adam Silver to grease the wheel to get things moving in the right direction. 
And two, there's a really good shot that not all 30 teams will come back. Having said that, if the league decided that it's safe enough to bring all 30 teams back and some of them will only be playing five to 10 games, well, you got to be a good partner and do it for the league. And that's Damian Lillard included. Be a good partner. It will benefit the players and the owners in the long run. If that means playing the so-called meaningless games to satisfy regional sports networks and the contracts and the money, that's what you have to do. And if you sit out willingly because it, you don't, ha- and I'm assuming you don't have an injury or something, those who sit out these games should be able should have to forfeit their game checks. I mean, this is a a weird situation, but you got to do what's best for the league. And if it's best for the league. And this is part of a larger conversation. The players are employees, very important employees, and should be treated as such. But if you sign an employment contract to play basketball, you should have to play basketball to honor your contract. And if you don't do that, you should you should have to forfeit game checks. I'm sorry. I mean, I know there's a lot more things that are complicated than that. It's not as simple as what I just made it out to be. But at, at its core... That's what playing in the NBA is if you're a player. Again, odds are the 30 teams won't be back. I think there will be some type of play-in system, but we shall see. I know the NBA is nervous about not having, you know, meaningless games. But in a regular NBA season, at the last week of the season, you've had meaningless games. So it shouldn't be any different. But anyway, we'll see what happens. There's a lot of optimism, as I said, uh, with the NBA, which puts a major smile on my face. And this Friday is going to be a huge day for the league going forward. I can't wait to see what happens. Uh, I'm I'm excited for what's to come with the NBA. Two sports that I'm not nearly as optimistic about. uh, Number one is uh, college athletics, uh, specifically football and basketball. I think the NCAA, as we know it, is about to change and change in a big way. And I think college football this season is in major jeopardy. If college campuses will not be having students on campus, it's very hard to justify having student athletes at the schools and not paying these athletes. Because if they play college football, they're doing it strictly for the TV money, and it's a bad look not to play, pay the players because they're essentially pros at that point. It's a bad, bad look. Not to mention there are Title IX implications, what sports get invited back. There's a whole mess. So, so college sports are very much up in the air at this moment, and the other sport that is very much in jeopardy today, which is going to be the main topic of tonight's show, is baseball. And with that said, we're just going to touch on the state of baseball with a couple of recurring guests in just a moment. Okay, I teased it a little bit before. Um, I'm bringing back on two recurring guests, uh, two excellent recurring guests. I've spoken a lot about uh, basketball in the last couple of episodes, but baseball's in trouble, and I think we definitely need to talk about it a bit. Uh, Phil Bausk, Moshe Cook, my uh, my baseball, um, you know, two people I like talking about it the most. How you guys doing? Doing all right. <laughs> I, my hair, I look ridiculous. Uh, during all of this, I don't know when I'm going to get a haircut and if I ever will, because we're not allowed to ever leave or go anywhere ever again. Uh, well, my wife just told me two minutes ago that I have an old man haircut now because everything has grown out to be the same length. So things are going super wonderfully. Well, if you guys were curious, I got a haircut about a week and a half ago. So um, we're, uh, Where? we're doing all right. Um, so, someone came over to the house. 
I got <laughs> to fix thing with uh, my person who does my hair, and uh, we got to make something happen because it's uh, it's getting a little out of control. You do you do what you got to do. Uh, so guys, uh, the state of baseball. How much trouble are we in here? How much trouble is baseball in uh, for this season and uh, potentially going forward? I don't think right now. I just I don't think they're going to play this year. I think they're so far apart on the money, and they haven't even that doesn't even call into or even begin to address the health related concerns. So, I guess the question then becomes: How much does this impact the future? And I. I don't really compare it to the 94 strike just because it's being caused by a pandemic. So I think when it does come back and hopefully it's not this year, it'll come back next season. I think people will go back and they'll watch and it'll be fine, but it's not a great look what's going on right now. And it'll have major ramifications for the next CBA. Um, I think in 2021 is when they start renegotiating. Um, But it's looking a little grim right now. Phil, what do you say? Uh, I'm a little more on the optimistic side. It's obviously not looking great now, but um, we're in we're in a bit of an unprecedented ter- territory, um, and I think no one wants to look bad. I think that's the kind of society we live in today. And while players and owners are far apart now, I do think we'll see some baseball this year. I think I do think owners might give in a little more because they have those you know the optics. They, they're more concerned with the optics while players. They're concerned about it, but ultimately they're not going to play for for nothing. And the owners are losing more money percentage-wise throughout the year. For the baseball standpoint, of course, they have make money other ways, but who knows how their businesses are being affected um, by this pandemic. So I think we'll see some baseball, but the the continued tenuous relationship between MLB and MLBPA is something that's really gone on for about 10 years now and it's only coming to light more so now because of what's going to yeah. what's been going on in the world well yeah, the whatever crazy, happens we'll oh, have major as i whatever happens and hopefully they play we'll have such major ramifications on the next cba um that's really going to reverberate and whatever happens that will set the tone for that is kind of all the as phil just mentioned all these frustrations over the last decade are just coming to a head now yeah, I, and it's and it's crazy because even though there hasn't been a, a labor stoppage since 1994, from everything I've heard, and I've I've listened to a couple of podcasts with Jeff Passan, um, you know, in uh, in preparation for this, that that the um, the divide between the the players' association, which is the strongest players' association in all of sports, and the owners is is growing. Um, you know, exponentially, and and this is not helping matters. Um, but I, and I want to and I want to get back to that because I I do want to frame kind of for the for the listeners who may not be following the story as closely as we have, um, sort of how we got here, right? So obviously with the whole pandemic thing, but I and and I, I think one of the um one of the comments I, actually before I go into this, you know, Moshe, you mentioned the getting over the health uh, risks, right? And there was that 64-page document that uh, details all the different things. Now, do you, at the at the end of the day, do you really believe that it's going to be that the sticking point is the health risks, or that the sticking point is the money? The sticking point is the money. Always at the end of the day, with things like this, the sticking point is the money. I wouldn't be surprised if 
look, there are players who, you know, have a John Lester who is a cancer survivor, Anthony Rizzo, and there are players who are diabetic. And obviously the coaches are older. So those things all need to be really taken uh, into consideration. And maybe we could see that there are certain players who won't, who might not play. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes down to money. All this right. Is always okay. And F- Phil, what were your thoughts? Uh, well, I, yeah, I mean, again, it does come down to money because baseball, you know, Rob Manfred doesn't want to be the commissioner who got a third of the league sick on coronavirus. Like, he doesn't want to be remembered for that. He's still actually kind of firing out his legacy as a commissioner because, honestly, when I think about him, I think about his weird teeth, but that's just me. Um, and, I think his legacy think, is so intertwined with Seelig, or as a continuation of Seelig, he hasn't really done anything to separate himself. He's very owner-friendly. Right, Right. That literally means he doesn't have a legacy. If it's intertwined with the guy in yeah. front of him, it doesn't really matter. But he's still trying to yeah. figure out uh, how to... Because he, he's a kind of in between Goodell and Adam Silver, where people don't criticize him at the same level you get Goodell, but he's also not praised like Adam is. So he, he's really like... He's going to be... He's unforgettable. He's not unique. And I think now is a good t- time for him to kind of show what he can do in terms of getting the owners and the players to agree to a deal and seeing that he could do something a little more player-friendly because they're going to have the test. They're going to they're going to do whatever they can bubble wise. All the leagues are talking together and trying to figure this out because there's a lot of money to made or not, sorry to not lose. And you just don't want to be the like like Tobin has mentioned. Is baseball really in that much trouble? I don't think so. But you don't want to be the guy who's responsible for the league losing four billion dollars. And let's say, you know, they have to they force they forcibly have to expand two to four teams because they need they need the the fees for that because owners have lost so much money. Like we just don't want to be in that position and that's where we're headed. But I think, I think we'll stop short of that. The, um, I mean, baseball is at an inherent disadvantage and this wasn't something that they can control because their season hasn't started yet. Right. Like for example, the NBA, which has had a lot of positive, there's been positive swells leading up to, you know, this week. And then hopefully, and hopefully Friday is going to be a big day for the NBA. Obviously, Gary Bettman for the NHL came out earlier this week. It was yesterday and talked about the playoff format and the return to play and what that's going to look like. I mean, they have the luxury of just, you know, because of the calendar that they've played 75% of their season, right? So it's a lot easier to pick up where you left off than really to start something from scratch. Um, so, yeah, baseball has that inherent disadvantage because of the of the time frame. But uh, I, I do think that that there's like, and, and we're going to get into this throughout the um, the conversation. But th- there seems to be this this lack of self awareness that that we're going to touch on in a second. But I think one of the one of the places where this manifested itself is is uh, is Blake Snell, and um, I, I do think this was like an important part of like the off season calendar was um, when things were when the talks were starting. Um, Blake Snell made a couple of t- comments on Twitch. Now we can talk about how responsible he should be for comments made on Twitch where he doesn't think he's, you know, which is not like a public platform. Well, I mean, it is, but it's not like, it's not like Twitter where you're putting your really thoughts out there. Where yeah, basically, but it's literally basically, a public platform. I don't think it's yeah, that it different. A, a lot of people, <laughs> it's no, literally like, going to, people, when, people when, watch when, his stream. Yeah, people, people do watch his stream, but it's not like Twitter where, where, I, I guess I just see an inherent difference when you're writing some thoughts down, you're going to press publish as opposed to, I guess, being caught a little bit more off guard on a Twitch stream. You know what I'm saying? 
I yeah. don't because I don't know if you've ever seen what our president has tweeted, but go on. And that, I'm not okay. Listen, we're not. I'm not, I'm not going there, and I, and I have, but I, I'm not. I'm not going there. But anyway, so to the, the Blake Snell comments where he talked about that he wants his full salary um, and and all this stuff, and then you know, but he also said that because we're being put at risk. No, those were his quotes. But then he's also on Twitter, you know, poo-pooing the severity of the virus. So what did you make of the whole Blake Snell situation? And and so, I, I guess and how does that manifest itself in this in this argument between players and owners? So when was he poo-pooing the severity of the virus? It was on Twitter, if I understand correctly. It was something clever to poo-poo. I think it was about Two weeks to three weeks earlier, but I, I don't have the exact timeline up. All right. Well, whatever it is. We so took a I long think time to open this virus, by the way. Yes, that's it with true. That. It really took a long time. Correct. I think Blake Snell is an interesting case for the following reason. I think Blake Snell is – so Phil mentioned that things have been coming to a head between the Players Association and the league for close to, oh, you know, coming up on a decade. And I think Blake Snell kind of – is a great example of that because he recently signed an extension um, five years for $50 million. And for someone of his caliber, a young winner, he's young. That's not a very big contract. And it's similar to what Acuna did um, and what Ozzy Albies did. And what we're seeing younger players sign, they're taking the money because the open market has been so busted by ownership that the dollars aren't there. So, you're starting off with a guy who's really an example of the frustrations, I think, of the players um, with the league. And yeah, you know, $50 million, obviously nothing to sneeze at, and he's set for life. But that's, you know, in the contracts that we're used to seeing growing up, that's nothing. Um, so then you're looking at whatever the structure of his contract was. I think he was under the prorated deal, he would have made 3.5 this year. And then under the deal that the owners, but he would have made $2 million. Again, obviously $2 million is a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money compared to the contract he was supposed to make. And they made, had a contract agreement and the players are under no obligation to go back to the bargaining table. Like they have an agreement of pro of a prorated salary. Now I think they will. Um, but I don't, I get his frustration. And I think that you see, this will sound if it sounds conspiracy theory, like you see the media and ownership, they float these things from ownership to the media. And a lot of the backlash then goes to the players. Oh, they're greedy. Oh, they're this. They just, why can't they just take the money to play a game? Um, so I get where the frustration from the player side is coming. I am very pro player. I am fine with what Blake Snell said on Twitch. Um, it's refreshing for him to be or to see someone in his position be open and very candid about how he feels about the situation. Um, so yeah, I don't take any, I don't personally have any issue with it. So what about you? First, I will say, when he started talking, you, I mean, I wasn't surprised cause I heard him talk a lot, um, beforehand, but boy, I'm sure a lot of people got a, a little confused. Like it was some kind of a parody video. Um, but <laughs> I'm also I'm also with him in the sense that they are taking all the risk. Uh, you know, the, there's no like ceremonial owners game of baseball going out there, but they're going to play and risk themselves getting. You know, it's, I know baseball is not exactly the biggest contact sport, but you're in a clubhouse with people, and it's very hard to break those habits of um, embracing a teammate after winning. I've been in baseball clubhouses. 
It's very tight. It's very close. Even in a big, luxurious clubhouse, guys are close to each other, and they're and it's sure there will be some kind of different atmosphere, but they're they're taking on a lot of risk. I I personally believe that they'll probably be okay, even if there are some positive tests. But like like Moshe said, they're not they're under no they don't have to go out and play. They're going to get their money anyhow. I mean, the owners are the ones losing money the longer we don't play. And to ask the players to take such a drastic cut, especially guys who signed these deals this past off season or an off season ago with the attention, you don't, you don't expect a pandemic to occur. Like you can't really plan for it. So even more so these guys need the money as much as I want to say they're the next person, but they're making a lot more money, but this is their job. They're blessed with this talent. They work really hard to get to where they are. Um, they should be allowed to complain, you know, if they're, if they're not happy with the negotiation, how things have been negotiated. And I also agree with um, Blake in the sense that there's a, there was like an anger and a fire behind his comments because it, it's, you would read about it in the news and the players are being depicted to a degree as the bad guys, but that's totally, it's very unfair to depict them as bad guys. And really they're getting pressured into risking their health. Okay. So you mentioned, and, and, you know, Blake, oh, sorry, go ahead. So I was say Blake Snell plays for the Rays and we obviously know everything there is to know about the Rays. We're a very small market and he signed what is a very team friendly deal for someone of his talent level. He's uh, as legitimate an ace as you have in the league. And he signed a really team-friendly deal. And a lot of the young star players, as I mentioned, are signing super team-friendly deals. And again, they're under no obligation to help the owners out. That's just the way that the system works. You know, the owners don't only make their money from baseball. And sometimes, you know, they've taken a lot of risks and they've done a lot of things to make as much money as they can. And then a pandemic happens and you're going to take losses. And it's just not on the players to recoup all your money, especially, I mean, I have so many issues with owners and now their approach to the league and compensation and free agency and, and on. I mean, to the, so I'm a Mets fan, Phil's a Red Sox fan. The Red Sox have just traded their superstar face of the franchise because they need to cut money. And we're talking about Boston and, uh, and we don't even need to get into Wait, the what? Wilpons. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but, um, but should just, before you continue, but I understand that I, as somebody who's a problem, who's a Mets fan, but like, I think, I think it's important to look big picture here. And, and I, I don't want to be painted as, oh my God, I'm sounding exactly like my guy, Ryan Rosillo here. I don't want to be painted as like pro owner. Right. And especially owners do, you know, a lot of shady stuff, but like, I think this year, Given the fact that baseball and the revenue that they make is so much from, you know, the gate that can you really like fault the owners for wanting to now, obviously, before I say this, you know, they should negotiate in good faith. Right. So like if they put out a proposal saying that they're going to prorate salaries, that that should be what it is. But if they need to say, listen, you know, we're taking such a bath here. like we can't afford it. Like who, how can you side with the players in a sense? Or it's just like, you know, at the end of the day, they're employees. I mean, they're super important employees that should be treated properly, but like, you know, they don't have as much at stake and the, in terms financially, in terms of the risk, because they, they have guaranteed contracts. Well, what we thought were guaranteed contracts before this pandemic happened. And in terms of the health risk, I just feel like, they got to trust Rob Banford 
to do and the medical professionals to obviously give the okay and to do whatever they can do to minimize the risks, right? And as you mentioned, Anthony Rizzo and some players, may, it may not be possible, but they're they're in the minority. But I feel like, it, you know, hiding behind the medical stuff is a bit of a cop-out, and I, and I don't like that, even though I, I like his... I mean, are they really behind, hiding behind the medical thing? I think we've all kind of agreed. It's not going to be the medical thing. That is the straw that breaks any Campbell's back here. Um, it's going to come down to the money. And I just, look, owners... As they're billionaires, and yeah, they're going to lose money this year, but they're going to get that money back, and there'll be revenues that have been climbing year over year the last couple seasons to just astronomical numbers, and that's just the way it's got to be. They, they have it, they're not operating in good faith here, I, in my opinion. They made a deal, prorated salaries, and then they went back and they said, no, we're going to, we need you to take an even bigger cut, and the way that they're structuring it is really almost pitting the uh, lesser compensated players against the higher compensated players where the higher compensated players are the ones who drive the value of the product itself. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, there's a very little situation where I'm going to take a pro ownership side here. Yeah. And also, I mean, especially with baseball, there are a lot of guys who don't make a lot of money who drive the sport at a certain degree. You know, it took Jacob DeGrom how long before he got his contract? And, you know, he was still best pitcher in the National League for a couple of years before that. That's just the nature of contracts and the way baseball players are featured. Um, listen, I've always been part of the group that says if you're an owner of a sports team and you're, you have issues making the financials work of playing or paying your players almost under any circumstances, sell the team. You'll be fine. Like, it's, it's a matter of paying your employees who have, who literally, they risk. They don't. Obviously, they don't risk their lives. The baseball players, but they put their body on the line. They are not going to be working regular jobs after their careers are over. Some guys are going to play two years and struggle for money. We've seen all of the tough stories of people playing any sport after they're done. Even it's also such a lifestyle. There's an article today on Roy Halladay and his uh, addiction to painkillers and depression, and how after he was done playing baseball, keep in mind this is a guy who was Cy Young Award winner, Hall of Fame pitcher, made a lot of money. He was miserable because he's not going to the park every day. He's not, he's 35 and he's done with his career, quote unquote. We have the luxury of hopefully working further into our lives, not making the money he made, but we have things that will keep us busy. It's, mm -hmm. it's just a lot to really depend on if you're the owners to just assume they're going to do whatever you ask. And like Moshe said, they're not operating in good faith. And odds are in other businesses, they don't operate in good faith either. And that's why they ended up making a ton of money. Now, I, I think, I think to Jacob's ground point, is really apropos here, I think, and because this is only, and, and this really ties into Blake Snell and the contract that he signed his extension, the way that it's been set up in baseball, and I think this will all be uprooted with the next CBA, is the owners and the teams get, get the prime value out of these guys' careers for pennies on the dollar. Right. And then okay. they've that, also drastically point. shifted to not paying them when their arbitration is up because they're saying their best years are behind them. So the owners have, it, there's just in every sense of the operation and the business, the owners have really taken advantage of the system um, and they're not compensating guys for their true value. What, what Ronald Acuna is going to provide for the Braves of the next however seven seasons or whatever number he signed is so astronomically high compared to the money that they're actually going to pay him. Um, they've just really gamed the system here. Uh, and sometimes, and you know, it was a major 
global pandemic that made it happen, but the chickens come home to roost. And sometimes you just got to take your losses if you really care about getting the product back on the field. Right. Okay. So I, I agree with all that, by the way, except I, where I have a little bit of a problem is, is first of all, you know, the players association is, is an extreme, excuse me, an extremely strong players association and they haven't brought up or maybe they have, but they haven't been able to win, um, you know, things like the arbitration rules. They haven't been able to make those over since they've uh, been renegotiating the CBA over and over again. That's number one. And number two, it's like, I think they got, they got to take this year as kind of like a one-off, right? Like you can't, but why is it the players have to take it as the one-off? That's what I'm saying. Oh, I think the owners have to take it too. But I, I think, you know, they're going to have to come together here because obviously the, the players aren't going to see what the owner's books look like. And you never know how much money somebody has. But, like, I, I just think it's, you know, there's going to ba- have to be concessions on both sides and, and for, it to, for it to come back and for it to get as I close mean- to be – to being back to normal the following year, like this year is just going to have to be a run, a one-off. I mean, I don't know about you, you guys, but like, I'm not going to compare my, my own personal, you know, job situation, but I, I I'm taking a pay cut during this. I mean, it's just, it's just, it is what it is based on the nature of my job. And like, I just, I don't know. I, I, I can't, I can't say that it's always on the owner's, um, to to make up the difference if you don't know what they're if they're paying the salaries, but and I I don't want it to be all the grievances from the players from the past and all the mistrust from the past to to color in terms of what color lenses we we look at this this year specifically this season for. But I yeah, think but listen, the, the thing with the owner. Season, oh, okay. So I'll let Marshall go first. No, Phil go. Um, so I, I'm going to hop in and just respond to you, Tobin has in the sense that you do know what these owners are worth. All of their, all of their net worths are public. And uh, recently with the A's, you saw that they furloughed a bunch of employees. They're not going to pay minor leaguers. The owner's worth three and a half billion dollars and he's not going to pay, I think what amounted to a million dollars over a month or two to this team. And this is, this is not the valuation of the, of the A's isn't great. It's not like that's half of his, half of his, uh, Forbes valuation. Um, so these guys are making conscious choices of what they're going to do and how much money they don't want to lose. I mean, this is the granted how they end up rich in the first place, but it's, there's a lot, there's all this stuff is public in terms of what players make, what owners are worth. And if you, if you add up the balance sheets, the owners should be taking a bath on this and the players don't really, players aren't going to be earning as long as these owners are or have been. And I just think it's a really a shame that the players you Players Union hasn't been able to do much in terms of getting the arbitration rules changed, but it's also hard to change something that's been in the system for so long. I don't know if that's something that will even change in the next few days. It might, but I'm not optimistic. There also, I mean, there the, the way the draft is working this year, there's a lot less money that's being allocated. You may see a lot of the top players not entering the draft this year. But then if, even if you're looking at this year as a vacuum, Aaron, I if we, if anyone felt that with the deal that the play owners came with is 
to the way the the sliding scale of salaries and we, which we haven't really gotten into the details of it. Well, we're going to talk about that in just a second. Well, let, it's a good transition. So um, I, let's yeah, transition I don't think that now. the offer the owners have made is fair. So I I don't blame the players for saying you know that's a hunk of crap. Like they have to come with something. Seeing is that the own the players are in no they have no obligation as we said they made a deal in March that they're going to do a prorated salary based on an 82 game season. Um, and that was the deal. So the only way that the players really are obligated to do anything is that the owners made them a fair offer and the owners didn't. And that's kind of where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Phil, can you, um, can you recap the, uh, the latest salary proposal just for people who don't, uh, who aren't aware of it just yet? <clears throat> well, I don't have the numbers in front of you, but the rough, the rough go of it is that the highest earning players have the largest percentage cut from their salaries and, and further on down. So Mike Trout, who makes, $300 million, $200 something million, you would take the biggest cut per year. And then as you get down further down the salaries, players are missing more or less and less of their salary. So the top level guys are impacted the most, while the lowest, lowest earners are impacted the least in terms of total dollar amount and percentage. Right. Now, can I ask you guys a question? Why not, why not just do it, you know, across the board so that you're not, you know, the same percentage across the board so that you're not alienating or at least trying to alienate the uh, the top players and pitting them against the guys who aren't earning as much. Well, it's the bottom line. I mean, think about how much more money um, you'd be, you're not going to be able to do it across the board as the salaries on the lower end aren't going to match up to, right. you know, if everyone's making the same, taking away the same percentage, then it's a lot less money going back to the owners. I mean, they also, they don't really think, uh, they probably have a ton of marketing info, but if you think about baseball, like if Mike, if Mike Trout comes out and says something, no one really cares. So it's not a big deal, I think, to the owners of the group. It might be very bad for the Angels owners uh, and owner, but as a group, they're not concerned about, it's not the NBA where if LeBron James says, I'm sitting this year, the NBA would be in a lot of trouble. Um, MLB, they, they kind of have a little more replaceable all-star level guys in terms of popularity. So I think there's there's less risk involved that they're going to try to earn hundreds of millions of dollars more. I mean, this is what these guys do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's I just I, Moshe, how did they come up with the with the the sliding scale numbers? Like what what was the logic? I mean, I know understand the logic behind it, but was like what was the math behind it? I don't know what the math exactly was behind it. I just pulled up the numbers. Now you took, intro, like, you took intro to stat, right? I didn't. I did uh, okay <laughs> on intro to stat, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> B plus for me. B plus. I think I was yeah. in the B range. I, I don't remember a whole lot of it, unfortunately. <laughs> Just to give an example of the of the numbers. So under this, so the way that's operating right now is, let's say, someone like Mike Trout or someone who's making thirty five million a year. So right now he'd be getting 17.7 million, but under this new proposal, he'd be getting 7.84. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas someone who was making the minimum wage at 285 would be getting 262. So obviously not a huge difference for right. that person. And that's where you're getting, they're kind of pitting players against each other because someone will, you know, a, a fringe reliever might look at a player who's going to make now, instead of 10 million, he's going to make 5 million. Well, this guy's going to make $260,000 and say, why, you know, what's your problem? Why can't you just take that cut? Um, 
and that also, I think that's going to rub the players the wrong way, kind of creating this infighting. So and I think to, to okay, keep going, go uh, as you mentioned, just to, to finish answering your question, the owners are probably making it seem like they're very concerned with the, the regular, you know, minimum level baseball player. Cause a lot of the optics for them has been the minor league lack of payment, lack of guaranteed salary or the, or the not guaranteed salary, the really low salaries. And, and that's been, what's been getting bad press in the last year or two. And I think this kind of proposals, them saying we're just looking out, for roster them rosters twenty five through thirty in our expanded rosters, while you know while Mike Trout and others can you know help the rest of the league out because we're going to lose four billion dollars of the league and we don't know what that means moving forward. I think something the owners don't understand. And I was just thinking about it now, and it's definitely on the extreme side, but they, there's no league without the players in this sense. There are thirty people, thirty very rich people who would love to start a baseball league and have and own a team, and baseball. You know, there isn't there isn't a much talent out there in terms of not everyone could do it. It's very difficult uh, to put on something exciting. So I just think that the owners are underestimating how much they need the players in this instance, and they're not really looking out for the little man. They're just they're just greedy. Yeah, look, yeah. I think I sent this article out to you guys. Craig Calcaterra wrote it for anyone who's listening. If they want to check it out, um, where he got just kind of broke down how the players so she might be approaching this and some of the points he just makes are sometimes businesses lose money and MLB is not uh they're not exempt from that just because they're a major sports organization they're not immune to it and they don't deserve to not lose money sometimes you lose money and and that's you know owners have benefited from taking risks for so long to make as much money as they have and sometimes you have to you know take a little bit of a hit on that and you lose a little bit of money and every owner will be fine because they are worth obscene obscene amounts of money um and then the other point he really makes is that baseball and ownership has always treated the players really purely as just wage players or, or wage workers this is what we pay you to perform and play the game and and now all of a sudden they're kind of shifting this and now we have to be partners together and we have to make sure that everybody is sharing the slice of the losses of this pie. And, and it's disingenuous. And I think that's, you know, I listening and then, and, and not to, uh, to plug a, a rival podcast, but uh, Mina Kimes on ESPN daily was talking about the NBA's plan to come back and how much in lockstep um, Adam Silver is with the top stars in the league and how they've basically been having Skype calls or zooms or whatever throughout this entire process with the main stars and that relationship is just so strong and that not existing in baseball is clearly hurting them. And, and it, it's what makes the situation the hardest to figure out. But like, I think Phil, and obviously working for the league might know some stuff, but like Chris Paul is really good friends with, uh, with the heads of Disney. And so he's helping to go between Disney and Adam and it's just, so seamless and the communication is there and it's clearly not there in baseball situation. And that's what's making this intercession issue. There's no question yeah. about that. I mean, the, um, the Adam silver has built up a, a lot of goodwill with the NBA players. Um, sometimes I even think Adam silver needs a little bit more David Stern in him, but whatever, that's my own personal thing. But when he's gone to the players uh, about this latest situation, like he's able to cash in some chips now. Uh, and and they'll and they'll be receptive. Obviously, you know Rob Manfred does not have that uh, that ability right now. He doesn't have that gravitas with them. Um, 
And yeah, it makes a very adversarial relationship. And I just, I did want to say one thing about, you know, what, what Phil said where they're talking about, you know, the players being obviously exceedingly special in their talents and not everybody's able to do this. And that's a hundred percent certain, but like, and not to compare to basketball, because again, it's, it's very different, but like, and, and I hate to use him because he's a whack job and I, and I don't respect his opinion on much of anything, but Kyrie Irving had like a, a, a rant a while back where he was just like, you know, I would, uh, you know, play for free, do all this stuff. And he was just going crazy about like the media treating him a certain way. And he's, he's nuts, but like that he would give up his contract to just play, just, just play for the love of the game, not to plug the, the, the name of the show, but like, he's not doing that. Right. Like, he's not going to do that. Like, he's not going to give up his contract to go to the, to go to Rucker park and just play. Right. He's not going to go to like, LA fitness and just play and forego all that. And like at the end of the day, like the owners sign the checks. Like I, I, I think that, you know, I, I compare these athletes to like SVPs of sales, right. Or, or top, or if you take a law firm, for example, like the top, um, you know, what, what's the level right below, uh, right below a partner, not junior partner, but like the top associate, so right. Senior associates, senior associates. You know, they don't have the skin in the game per se. I mean, they're paid handsomely. They're exceedingly important. They should be valued, you know, at at high levels and be treated super well. But but they don't have the skin in the game. So that that's where I have a sympathy towards the owners in a sense. Now, I'm not saying that they should act in bad faith, but that's where my sympathy lies. Well, just to say, the only players is, is in the salary cap leagues do have a skin in the game because the more money the league earns, the higher the salary cap goes, the larger right. contracts are. So that is, they are, they do have a, I mean, they think about the way contracts are now compared to three years ago. You had a max contract at 30, now you have guys like 42. So it's a lot of money per year. Um, if you keep going that way uh, in the sense that Kyrie is not going to play for free, of course, yes, he's not going to play for free. But if LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Steph Curry went to start their own basketball league because they were fed up with the NBA. The NBA would be in a lot of trouble, and there'd be another more, another more popular league that would be making a lot of money. So these guys would be just fine. I think basketball is most reasonably the sport where guys could leave and go start their own league, but there's a very good infrastructure in place, so there's no reason for them to do that as of now. But you never, it's never going to come to that. Guys aren't going to jump ship because the owners are treating them poorly because the money is very good. But they also don't want to be treated... You know, if they're, if they're doing partner-level work and they have partner-level skills, they don't want to be treated like a senior associate. So they're going to make it be known, and some, some players are better at it than others. I, I, I accept that. I think that that's fair. Let me ask you guys a question. Um, sure, yeah. So the, the, ne- the next CBA, right? Um, do we think there's going to be any major changes? Like, do you anticipate there being some type of salary cap? And would a salary cap relieve any of these issues? I think there will be major changes with the minor league system. I think we're already seeing that there are they're already um, contracting it to make it smaller and getting rid of a bunch of teams. Um, and just the way that compensation works, because minor league, that's a whole separate issue with how little money minor leaguers are, play, are paid. Um, I I don't know if there will be a salary cap. I don't force. I don't know. I, I think the biggest change could be in arbitration. I don't know, Phil. What do you? I'll let you 
pick this one. I don't really know. So that's the thing that this current situation can complicate things. Because let's say there's a good faith agreement. Say, listen, players will take a, will take, we won't do the prorated salary, but we'll, sorry, we will do the prorated salary. This is what we agreed on, or something else. And the players might say, and then next CBA comes along, maybe we'll consider some kind of revenue split, which means the owners, you know, would be given, even though they already agreed to the prorated salary, they'd be getting giving up the money in the short term, but long term, they'd be getting money from the revenues, but something they never got. Mm-hmm. So it could happen like that. I think things tend to stay the same. I think what we could see with the new CBA are actually just tweaks to the game itself, like the extra innings with a guy on second base. Uh, I do think there might be an automated umpire, not necessarily in the next, next CBA, but that's in our future. And I think you'll also see something um a sticking point really in terms of arbitration for the players. But as it always goes, I you'll see maybe the, the percentages go up on what players can earn and, and the arbitrators have to be more lenient in terms of their rulings. I don't think we'll see major changes like that. I'm mainly excited yeah, for the robot I, umpires because I'd love to see an argument between like um, Mookie Betts, he got traded at now, and robot umpire. I think that the biggest area of focus for the players at least will be how players can be paid more fairly when they are providing peak value because obviously in the current system in the way arbitration is structured is you know the first five or so whatever years it is that you are eligible for arbitration you are not getting paid uh for what you're contributing like a jacob de Gram. and then when it's time to get your contract the owners are saying oh you're you're on the wrong side of 30 and we're not going to pay you the big money. So I think that's where we'll see the biggest changes and the biggest arguments um, tied with minor league stuff. So also, Phil, I think, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, just quickly, one more thing. I think the big issue also recently is free agency and guys not getting signed up, you know, veterans kind of going, getting cheaper deals and short-term deals. Uh, I think that there, there could be some kind of clause put in like they have in basketball with a, with a cer- certain age or certain type of service time where you might, you might have to, if you're going to sign a guy to one year, it has to be a minimum amount of money as opposed to a veteran minimum. Like the veteran minimum will be boosted essentially, but it's going to be based on service time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, listen, the players are definitely going to have uh, a lot to say um, in 2021 I mean, as they should. But so at the end of the day, Phil, you're a little optim, you're optimistic that we're going to get a season back. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who work for teams and, they're still going ahead as if they're going to be playing and how they'll be doing media virtually and all that, uh, which is usually a decent sign, at least in terms of the league thinking, the league thinking that operations are going to be going on. Um, so I'm a little more optimistic though. Honestly, we don't know what's being talked about at the table and what people, what the, you know, how contentious this is, but I'm, I'm optimistic. And Moshe, you're not. Yeah. I mean, based on where things are right now, while we're recording, this podcast, I am not optimistic about it, but then again, the players could come Friday or over the weekend or Monday and put together a, a counteroffer that, and then totally shift my opinion. So it, it's such a fluid situation. Yeah, right now I'm pessimistic. I would obviously love for it to happen. I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, by the time this is edited and chopped up, we could be, uh, the new cycle can shift so quickly that it could be a totally different situation. So before we go, um, Moshe, you, uh, I know this is a topic that, uh, you wanted to talk about Phil as well, being a Cowboys mm-hmm. fan, um, Dak Prescott and his contract, um, 
contract negotiations with the Cowboys. So I'm not a Dak Prescott believer in a sense. Uh, Moshe, I know where you stand. Phil, where are you at with Dak Prescott uh, as the quarterback of the Cowboys and specifically in terms of his negotiations now? Uh, I, I, I don't think, I don't love the idea of him getting $45 million a year if that, those numbers that come around, but you, I do think you can win a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott, and I do think he's a great fit for that team. They've only, to be fair, they were stuck in Jason Garrett territory for the start of his career, and we already saw last year how much better Dak was throwing the deep ball with, um, with Kellen Moore's offense, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but hopefully Mike McCarthy is an upgrade over Jason Garrett. Um, and I don't love the idea of him tying up the cap, but the way that they spend their money, they're pretty good with restructuring deals. Actually, they're pretty good to the point that they did it illegally and got caught um, a couple of years ago. But uh, you know, they'll have they'll have all their key players locked up, with the exception of Byron Jones, who is now a Miami Dolphin. And I really think they should pay him. Do I think he's a top ten quarterback? No, but. I would be happy to roll with Dak as our starting quarterback for the next four years at 30 to $40 million. Okay, Moshe, what say you? Well, I think that Dak is at worst a top 10 quarterback. Statistically, uh, from at least last season, he was six or seven. Um, I think that the way – it happens to be that the pandemic has kind of thrown things off because if the NFL – I think the NFL will happen. I would be shocked if it didn't just – at the, the level of, of importance of that league um, compared to all the other sports leagues. Um, but as the NFL continues to make obscene amounts of money, the salary cap is going to keep going up. And as that happens, the percentage that Dak is going to take up is going to look minuscule in a couple of seasons than the way that we're talking about it right now. And then especially after Lamar Jackson and Pat Mahomes sign their contract, it's going to make Dak's contract look like buckets. Um, the numbers, I the 45 million, that's, I don't. I think that whatever, however that ended up being floated around Twitter, was quickly debunked by people who report exclusively on the Cowboys. And it's tough with Dak and with the Cowboys because it's such a hot topic on hot take shows and for the national sports media to always talk about and skew things. Um, but I think he's worth the money. I think he's really, really good um, when he finally was kind of put in a situation with Kellen Moore and got the talent around him. And I mean, just you kind of look at the receivers he's had throughout his career. He had a good Dez and then a wash Dez. And then like his top guy was Alan Hearns and Terrence Williams and the corpse of Jason Witten. And then you give him Mari Cooper and he's a stud. And the and the Cowboys, as Phil mentioned, are really good with contracts. They signed Amari Cooper to a really team-friendly extension where they're paying him for two years. And then, you know, they're really able to, uh, if he's no longer productive, kind of either get him off the books or whatever they have to do. The team is built really, really well right now to win a Super Bowl. They have a really good offense. Um, they draft really, really well. And there's, they're good. They're, look, deadlines make deals. There's no way this doesn't happen. That's the way that it works. Dak will get signed. I think the deadline is July 15th. He will be signed by then. I'm not worried about it. Um, I don't really need to get into a whole argument over why I think Dak is really, really good because Aaron, you and I are not going to agree on it. Um, but yeah, you don't they're going to find him. 10 quarterbacks better than Dak Prescott? Let, let, Phil, hold on one second. Hold on, Phil. Let me, let me rephrase that 
uh, and ask, not rephrase it, but let me ask a follow-up question. If Dak hit the open market right now, given the entire league's quarterback situation, how many teams would jump at the at the uh, opportunity to sign Dak Prescott? Uh, well, if we're really going team by team, I mean, I can't really say I, I know exactly who's looking for what. I mean, I'm sure the Patriots will look at him, but they're not paying him that kind of money. Um, uh, try and leave know, the contract aside. The Patriots would be one of those teams. Yes, they would be I one of those teams. I think the Carolina that, Panthers would be another one of those teams. I think, I think the, the Steelers, would definitely, Steelers would definitely look at him. The Steelers. I mean, they have been there. He's been so old. Done. He's, <laughs> he's a, he, he might have a year left. He might die. <laughs> uh, okay, fine. My, my point is, is that if Dak hits the open market, I, I really don't think there's a tremendous market for him. And if he was like I, that great, there would be a market regardless. I don't know I mean, what there, does that means. He's a restricted free agent. No one... I'm the saying, LA Chargers would pay him. Yes, they're they're one of three, but I can't think of more than six or seven teams. I think yeah, Carolina would be one of them. Uh, yes, but but he's that's also a lot of teams. Like, but if but you not, look at the quarterback situation, like, are you really so sure that you know the Saints wouldn't sign him right now? Breeze plays one more year, and then you have Dak. Like, what? I that, don't. I, I think even if it was Breeze for a year or two, I don't think they'd shove him aside for what he means to the uh, The Colts signed Philip Rivers, but if they could get Dak instead, they'd take Dak in a heartbeat. Yes, they're, they're the one Red, of them. The Redskins would snap him off. The Redskins would take him right away. They're another the team, Redskins sure. Would, so would your team. The Giants would take him. The Bills would take him. <laughs> Not so sure about the Giants, but whatever. That's my own hot. Right, so the, teams hot that, the, the teams that wouldn't take him are year. teams that, you know, look, uh, like the Dolphins just – drafted Tua, so obviously they're going to use Tua, but a year ago, they would take Dak. You know, I would, the Buccaneers, Dak is a better option right now than Tom Brady. Brady was not great last year. Um, he, and Brady can't move anymore, and we'll see what happens in Tampa Bay, of course. Uh, would, you, would, you say that, would you say that Dak um, is, is more, more of a quarterback that makes his environment or that is the product of a great roster around him? Like, for example, football outsiders, you know, we're just talking about offensive lines, right? The offensive line for the Cowboys was rated second overall last year. In 2018, they were related. According to football outsiders, the pro football focus does not have them nearly that yeah, high. Football outsiders. Uh, Dallas um, in 2018, eighth overall. 2017, um, let's see, fourth overall. Let's see, 2016, Dak's rookie year. I mean, look, I'm just going gonna, gonna to cut you off right here. Fourth there are overall. maybe three quarterbacks who can really thrive without a really good offensive line. Um, so I think this is a stupid uh, assignment or stupid uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, there are really good quarterbacks who look like crap when they don't have good offensive lines, uh, and that's just the way it is. Um, so, but would you, I, I sent you that article yeah. this week, Aaron, about the Eagles writer who really broke down tape between Wentz and Dak. Uh, and Dak does a lot of things exceedingly better than Wentz. And there are things that Wentz does exceedingly better than Dak. And again, I also, the point that I also mentioned, if Dak was taken in the first round instead of the fourth round, we wouldn't be having this conversation. The fact that he was taken in the fourth round, plus the fact that he's on the Cowboys creates a whole entire 
media storm around it that doesn't need to be there and it makes the conversation dumb and it makes everybody who has the conversation worse. Well, let's, let's uh, you know, leave the media out of it for a second, or I should say the mainstream <laughs> media, the mainstream media out of it. Cause I am now uh, a media member technically. Um, Phil heads up. If you're starting a team right now, Dak Prescott. From, from scratch, Dak Prescott over Carson. Dak Prescott over Carson Wentz. Oh, I thought you were going to say Daniel Jones, but I'd still go with Dak Prescott. You go Dak Prescott over Carson Wentz. Yeah, Carson Wentz gets hurt a lot. He seems to be mentally kind of bounces in and out. And I don't know. I don't know if I trust him as much as I would trust Dak. Dak is very good, just as good as improvising plays as Wentz. He's very good at throwing the deep ball. And the one thing that Dak, I think, struggles with at times is his decision-making, which I mean, a quarterback isn't, isn't really a great trait to have. But also, I think he's been kind of thrusted into an offensive situation for the start of his career that I'm sure he probably questioned. I'm sure there are a lot of things he didn't love about the offense as watching it. You know, there are plenty of third, second, and shorts where they're throwing, they're making really bad play calls, and they're killing drives on their own. But... I think if he if he can survive if he if he struggles this year, which I don't think he will, he hasn't shown that he struggles. He's consistent. I mean, and in the playoffs, he he played fine against the Rams. They just couldn't. The defense the defense by the end of the year is always worn out. They never they're never effective by the end of the year of the postseason. I think that's a really the Cowboys last year their defense. I think they had bottom way bottom of the league in terms of average starting field position. Their special teams sucked, and they had ten missed field goals. So Dak yeah. is starting way behind in field position. He's driving teams down, and they also, their schedule, they played most of the best defenses in the league. And they're just leaving points on the board. And a lot of this is because Jason Garrett was, and you'll learn this, Aaron, firsthand when he's offensive coordinator for the Giants next season. Um, he stalls drives. The best one, Dak's best games last year was against the Vikings, and they took the ball out of his hand at the end of the game when they had a chance to win. Um, he, he may not by the way, you, you should see my face. You should see my facial expressions as you're uh, rattling off these Jason Garrett points. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not great. Yeah, it's, let, let me ask. Really let me amazing. ask you a question, Phil and and Mosh. Would you be surprised to know that I'm looking at uh, situational statistics? Um, and again, you can you can make numbers dance every way you want, but like when Dak is ahead. Is rating 122.6 when tied 82.5. This is in the this is in the fourth quarter, uh, I believe. You know when he's uh, ahead by nine to sixteen points, 135.7. When he's behind by one to eight points, 91.1. Would you would you be a little concerned that he seems to be one of those front runner guys who can't lift you up when you need it most? I, I would not. Don't know. If, I would look. Not I would also. Amari, Amari Cooper was not himself for much of the second half of last year, and when they without they they don't they haven't had depth at wide receiver since the Romo days. It's just if someone gets hurt at receiver, that you have, you don't even know who's going in. Like they don't they didn't have they were they didn't have games without Reggie Cobb, uh, Randall Cobb and and Amari Cooper, and then you're. You're banking on Gallup. I, I don't even remember who some of these guys are, but I could like rattle off old guys like Lance Lenoir and Noah Brown. These guys stink. They haven't had a t- receiving tight end play more than half the snaps since Witten Corpse got back on the field. So 
I don't know. I, I think don't it's think like the, the, the Witten thing really, the Witten thing really set Dak back. You had this guy who can't really stretch the field, especially in, in today's NFL. And I think you're going to see now that they have, they have Jarwin, who's big and he's fast and athletic. And he's a, a receiving tight end. Um, and Witten wasn't a great blocker for his career. Anyway, not Witten, a goat and love Witten forever, but he should not have been on the field anymore towards the end of his career. They should not have taken him back last season. Um, they just created situations that made things harder for Dak. And I still mentioned the receivers until last year, until they got Amari, were, was not a great receiver situation for them. And then you add in all the stuff that was happening with Zeke. Um, but Dak also has great fourth quarter comeback numbers over the course of his career. And there's never been a situation where I was, didn't feel like Dak could get the job done. Um, they, you know, they, they were very few. The yeah, games well, that they really lost last year were on the defense. Yeah, um, when you watch those games, you're, you're praying the defense is not on the field. And even the year, when the year they lost to the Rams in the playoffs two years ago, when the defense was tremendous, the defense was its best it's been probably since the early 2000s when it wasn't even very good. Um, they, they got hurt, guys got hurt at the end of the year and they just, they, they couldn't stop, they couldn't stop the run the last two games of the season. And, uh, they just they, they break down. They don't have healthy guys on defense. That's where I think that might keep them from being a Super Bowl contender. They need to get they need to get really great years from Jalen Smith, and they need Ha Ha Clinton Dix to be like a real solid safety, and they need their corners oh, to that make they them beat. <laughs> yeah, so, but their corners, you know, yeah, uh, I don't even know how to say his name. Uh, I, I do like Jordan Lewis a lot, and I hopefully think he's on the field more. But I, you know, the defense scares me every time they'll get on the field. They didn't have any takeaways last year. I think that they drafted a couple of super athletic ball hawk type players. I think there's going to be a very different approach defensively. A lot of the stuff at the end of the day, and this was situation with Romo also. Um, but it's a lack of best, talent. It's not one of the team. It's, they didn't have a lot of talent on those teams. They had, were never deep on defense. They usually featured one pass rusher. They had a they had an okay middle linebacker, and their secondary was was a joke. They haven't had a good safety since Dan Woodson. At what point, though, okay, sorry, at what point, like, I know we're, and, and we're moving away from Dak here. At what point, and uh, we have about, you know, five minutes left, I want to wrap this up. Um, at what point is just too much, like, is just enough is enough, and it's just too much for what Dak is as a player, right? Like, Mo, you, you think he's a, uh, he's a top 10, top 10 guy. Phil, you think he's somewhere around, 15 if i had to uh if i had to yeah, guess between 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 10 and 15 like if you're not I'm if surprised you're not a, that low but if okay but That's my point is low. if you're not uh in a salary cap sport i know the cap's rising i get that but like if you're not a top five guy at that position like how can you justify paying that number because it's going to cripple the rest of your team and he's not good enough and you have to to, to elevate to the rest of the guys guy to get to a super bowl yeah look he he is good enough to help this roster as it is currently constructed and the way that they have guys paying and who they have on rookie deals um, and early career deals and team-friendly deals. He They can afford to pay him and go out and win the Super Bowl because their window is the next four seasons or so. Um, it's not worth going down to whether it's Andy Dalton or whichever qu- – quarterback is such a crapshoot in the NFL. Um, cause you just need to hope that you draft a guy who's going to be really, really good. Um, 
And there are a lot of guys in the league who we think, like, like a Matt Stafford, who his career got kind of ruined. He's a good player that you could have won around him, and he got paid a lot of money because the option of letting him go and being terrible for God knows how long, it's not worth it. Um, and that goes beyond the point that Dak is a really good player, um, and they are primed to win a Super Bowl around him. All I yeah, know is just, that as – oh, sorry. Go ahead, Phil. But just like, like you look at the Rams team recently that got to the Super Bowl. Goff wasn't making that kind of money, but they had plenty of room. In theory, if Goff's making the same salary he does now, it's the same roster. He wasn't a top-five guy. You still get to the Super Bowl. Matt Ryan was a top-five guy in the regular season, but on the post – like, did play like that in the postseason when they got to the Super Bowl. The problem is you have about seven to ten quarterbacks who have gotten to a Super Bowl not named Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or Drew, uh, Drew Brees, so – there aren't a lot of guys that you're like, oh, this guy's top five of the year for sure. With the exception of maybe Russell Wilson, it's tough. Like it's, it's, you don't have to be a top five guy to get to the Super Bowl. Well, I'll, we'll just uh, end on this because we got uh, you know, the, the studio's giving me the, uh, the signal. Uh, I hope you guys sign him to a long-term deal because that means it's going to destroy the Cowboys in the next couple of years. I'm I don't know why you think that. Giants, right? You know he's well, not yeah. a the Giants. Like they, they, I think they've are they four and zero in their last four or three and one. The Giants haven't even sniffed them in the last couple. Of I years. can't remember they the last time the, Gi- the Giants haven't beaten him since the Giants made that the playoff. What two years ago? Three years ago? I don't Dak know. is I a mean, product of his environment. He doesn't make the environment. Tyler, me, the environment's not changing. Well, <laughs> but yeah, if the environment's there, who cares? The environment's yeah, going to change if he's making thirty-five million dollars a year. They're going to have to sacrifice somewhere. They already did. They can make it work. More. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, guys, this was awesome. Um, thanks for uh, giving me uh, your, you know, so Wait, much time. I, want, I just have a just sorry. Yeah. I need to make one point before Lamar right. Jackson. Is he making the team better around him, or is the environment so perfect and the coaching staff, what Greg Roman and Harbaugh have designed that offense to do, is so perfect for his skill set? That it works. I Lamar Jackson is not the guy that's making the receivers around him better. He's Correct. a product I, of an environment, I, oh, I, and that's listen, not a knock I, on him. And he should get a shitload of money. The only like Patrick Mahomes makes everybody better because he can do things that nobody else can do. When he and throws Russell Wilson, uh, and Russell Wilson, and Russell Wilson, and who? But who else? Right now, who's a young quarterback that's you know entering the prime of his career, entering the prime of his career? Maybe Deshaun Watson. You have three guys. That's it. Joe Burrow. <laughs> but but that but that. That to me is the exclusivity of being paid the numbers that they're being paid. Now, but that's not I, how the league works. And if that's yes, not how the that, works. That, that's a that, and that's a different story. That that the, the next contract's always the biggest. But I, I think there's a breaking point, and I'm not sure that Dak Prescott's worth that breaking point. But anyway, anyway, before I get yelled at even more, uh, this was awesome, guys. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Um, thanks for coming on. Uh, great conversation as always. Thanks I love talking us. to you guys. And um, yep. we're going to have to do this hopefully soon. We'll hopefully. Soon. Yes, hopefully we'll see some sports soon and hopefully baseball will come back and uh, everything we said and the pessimism that me and Moshe uh, exhibited tonight <laughs> is moot. Well, we'll have the NBA soon. So. Yes, thank God. Hey, hey. No one knows anything about that. <laughs> All right, have a good one, guys. You're a jerk, Phil, for holding out on us this long. Have a good night, guys. Well, really yeah. appreciate you guys. 
Thanks again to our recurring guests, Moshe Cook and Phil Bausk, for uh, their uh, generosity in terms of their time tonight. Really great conversation. That's episode 79 for the love of the game. Take us out, Scarface. I finally found a woman who could deal with me. Back then I had a girl who wasn't real with me. And now she's back with an old lady. And now I got it going on and they show hate me. Now I'm a gone and she's a loner. <laughs> yeah, I'm always playing tricks on her. One time for your motherfucking mind. Bringing it back like this here, 1991 one all the way to the 1994 when they call me Face. Yeah, mom was playing tricks on me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.